If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of John. John chapter 6, as we continue our study of this gospel. As you're doing so, just a recap. Last week we started this chapter reading about Jesus feeding the 5,000. We noted how this miracle displayed Jesus' power, His authority, how it was combined with His teaching. For in the Scriptures, when we see miracles, they draw our attention, not to the miracle itself, but to what is surrounding it. And in Jesus' case, it's often joined with the message. The miracle gives us the event to help us better see or appreciate the message. And as we thought about last week in the feeding of the 5,000, there certainly was a wide audience, right? That was 5,000 families involved, or at least 5,000 men plus the women and the children. But there was also a group that we don't always think about, and that's the disciples. The disciples were also present and also learning. And there were aspects of that miracle that were for them. Well, this week we come into a miracle that was exclusively for the disciples. They're the only audience present when this miracle takes place. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, why? What is there to gain from Jesus revealing His might, His power, and His strength to His own followers? And the answer to that, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, is going to be where do we turn, well the question that gives the answer, where do we turn when there's fear, struggles, hardship, persecution, doubt, uncertainty in our lives? Where do we go when life is falling down around us? And I believe the answer to that is to the Lord. And I believe that's the lesson that the disciples learn and that we should learn from this text as well. In our evening worship services, we've been going through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And I think of Nehemiah, that mighty man of God. When he came across the, the destruction and um, the, uh, just the state of Israel, and it came to his heart that the city walls had not been rebuilt and people were living without protection, he set out on a task to see it done right. But before he ever took one step, what did that mighty man of God do? He went to the Lord in prayer. He knew that when trouble comes, when difficulty comes, when hardship comes, we must first look to the Lord. And that is what I believe we will see in our text this morning as Jesus expertly teaches the disciples this lesson. I do invite you to turn with me to our passage as we read it together to hear that lesson um, John chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, I'd like to read through the 21st verse. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, 
they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But He said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take Him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the word of our Lord. Would you please bow with me as we go to Him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, there are many here today, I am certain, that feel like the disciples felt that night. That feel that the storms of this life, whether it be sickness, wayward children, difficulties in marriage, whatever the circumstances may be, they feel that the storms of this life are pounding around them and they don't know where to go or who, to whom to turn. Father, for all of us, but especially those living in that season of life, may they take hope in this passage. May it serve as a lighthouse, as a beacon to point their attention to you. May we cling to King Jesus when the storms are calm and when the storms are raging. We thank you for your word. We know that it does not return to you void, but accomplishes that which you have purposed for it. So we pray this morning, O Lord, that you would send your word out with power and with strength and that it would meet the hearts and the needs of your people. We pray all of this trusting in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In the book of John, he records for us seven miracles. John's really fixated on patterns and on rhythms Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we'll come to the beginning of the I am statements in John that give us a, a, a chart to progress through his letter. One of the ways we can chart through his letter is through these miracles that Jesus performs. And if you were with us a few weeks ago when we were in John chapter 5, we noted the miracles of Jesus testify to the divinity of Jesus. And so when we see a miracle, we need to ask, how does this reveal Jesus Christ as Lord? And if you look up the definition of miracle, I'm I'm a fan of Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Um, Its definition, miracles are events manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Let me simplify that a little bit. Miracles are when things happen from God that shouldn't, that should not work in our natural world with our natural laws. We, we think of a variety of things. Molecularly changing water to wine would constitute a miracle. Multiplying matter with loaves and fish constitute as a miracle. Walking on water defying gravity and the viscosity of water constitute a miracle. These are things that should not be in our natural world apart from divine intervention. And so this miracle that we have before us displays divine intervention. But why? My favorite question, why? Why was it necessary? What did it accomplish? What did the disciples learn and what do we learn? And it goes back to what I said a moment ago. I believe this is a passage on fear. I believe this is a passage on trusting in God. I believe this is a passage in which we learn our two points I have before us this morning. 
There are often circumstances in this life that we have no control over. And yet, there is nothing that is out of the control of God our Father, and namely Jesus Christ. And the quicker we learn this and believe this, the more peace we will have in our lives. For if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of our turmoil in our lives, a lot of the chaos, the confusion, the conflict comes when we forget these two important lessons. And so I pray that this will be beneficial for us this morning. Let's begin by looking at how life's circumstances are often out of our control. And let's, let's set the stage, if you will. The disciples have just witnessed Jesus perform a major miracle after spending a great deal of time preaching to the people who came around the Sea of Galilee to hear Him. After this miracle, the people decided, and rightly so, Jesus was the prophet. He was the one that the Old Testament talked about, and their conclusion was, we must make Him king immediately. Jesus wasn't ready to be made king, and their motivation was wrong in doing so, and so the text tells us that He withdrew Himself. He removed Himself from the situation. That left the disciples with the crowd to calm them down and sort things out and send them on their way. And what we know happened next, we have to go to Matthew's Gospel, this text is paralleled in Matthew, is that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side. So at some point after Jesus withdrew Himself, He took the disciples, put them in a boat and said, go. Now let me ask you something this morning. Have any of you, and I'm sure you have, planned a major event? A a wedding, a a, a reunion, an event for work. I'm talking one of those that takes more than a week preparation. Months. And sometimes these things, years. There's a level of excitement. There's a level of anxiety. There's a level of purpose that goes on. But... I want you to think, if if you've been in that circumstance, about the next day, you've pulled it off. You've you've made the event, it worked together, and you're sitting on your bed or on the couch that next day. That feeling right there. That, ugh. (laughs) It's it's part exhaustion, it's part satisfaction that things were completed, but it's just this, this mind almost sludge, if you will, right? You're just, you're spent. Don't you think at this point that's what the disciples were feeling? Think about the last 24 hours in their life. They went for some peace and some reflection and some education. That's why Jesus took them uh, to this side of the Sea of Galilee. And the people that they were kind of running from followed them and met them. They taught for an extensive period of time, Jesus ministers to them, and then engages the disciples in a massive miracle, feeding uh, roughly 15,000 people. Don't you imagine at this point, mentally, physically, and spiritually, they're tired? And then to have that moment, and then Jesus says, here, get on this boat, I'll see you in a little bit. That's where they are when the text starts. And then we go into this string of circumstances that they did not wish for or ask for. Let me highlight at least four of them for you. 
The text tells us that this journey, this boat ride, if you will, took place at night. Verse 16, it was now dark. We don't appreciate this very well because most of us, when we heard that, we'd say what? We'll turn on the lights, <laughs> crank up the generator. What do you mean it's dark? You pay the bill? That was not an opportunity for the disciples. These weary, these tired, these worn down disciples. If they didn't pack it, they didn't have it. And so if they didn't pack their lanterns, and if they didn't pack the oil, and they didn't pack it in waterproof containers, it was dark. And, and, and not Columbus at night with its string lights downtown dark. We're talking in the middle of nowhere with no light pollution dark. One of the greatest fears of mankind is darkness. This is one of the circumstances they found themselves in that was beyond their control. The second circumstance they find themselves in that is beyond their control is Jesus is not with them. Their master, their teacher, their Lord left them. Well, it's, it's, it, to be fair, he forced them to leave him. He put them on the boat and sent them on their way. The text tells us, it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The scholars think that for a lot of this trip, they kind of angled themselves so they wouldn't be too far from shore so that Jesus, if he did decide, hey guys, I'm ready for you to join me, he could signal them somehow and they would go, you know, they would cut in, pick him up and then continue on the journey. But he had not done so. And again, we, we have a problem appreciating the magnitude of this because of our modern technology. Because I find myself going, well, why didn't you text him? I wouldn't, don't call. I'm a millennial. You don't call. You text. Why didn't you text Jesus? Hey, Jesus, what's your ETA? They couldn't do it. They couldn't send a pigeon. It's a storm. There was no mail service. It's dark. He's nowhere to be found. He's not shown up. He's not revealed himself. That's out of their control. And on top of that, their third issue the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. The conditions were hard. John and other disciples are fishermen. They have knowledge and experience in a boat. But this is a real problem of a storm. The whole journey is about five miles. The Sea of Galilee sits about 600 feet below sea level though. And it was not uncommon for strong winds to come upon that body of water and send it into turmoil. And even for expert fishermen, this would not have been something pleasant. Not all of them were fishermen. Not all of them had the experience, the background, the knowledge to know that this is survivable. And then the fourth issue that the disciples find themselves with is the lack of progress that they're making. Scholars believe this journey charting it out should have taken about two hours with good, favorable conditions. 
If the conditions were not favorable, however, they believe it could take up to six to eight hours because of the difference in fighting the wind and going along with the wind and fighting the waves and taking the waves to your advantage. They're already tired from their day and their constant rowing and marking and checking would have worn them down even further. This paints a pretty despairing picture, doesn't it? It, This is a great summary of this concept that circumstances are beyond our control, right? Terrible conditions, no Jesus, middle of a storm, in the nighttime. Don't some of us feel that way sometimes? Don't our lives sometimes feel like this paragraph? The old adage, when it rains, it pours. We find ourselves frequently, we're late for a meeting and that's when you get the flat tire or you see the blue lights in the back of your mirror. You get the phone call that your child is at school puking or hit another student. The person bringing the presentation doesn't show up to work that day and that's the day the internet goes out. We often find ourselves in circumstances similar, right? Where there seems to be chaos everywhere. But before we get to the second part of our text, I I want us to zoom out a little further. Because in some ways this text affirms to us what we already know. Life's chaotic. (laughs) That's not something I need to teach you this morning. I I don't need to convince you life is sometimes challenging. So let's, let's zoom out one more degree further. And let me ask you a, a question. The disciples may not have known that the day would have ended up like this, and if they had a say, they probably wouldn't have picked it. But wasn't there somebody who did? Who put them on the boat? Jesus. Who sent them to the other side? Jesus. who knew them and loved them and knew that as much as the people that Jesus has been ministering to needed to learn about him, so did the disciples. Jesus. The circumstances were out of their control, but they were never out of his control. If I could impress upon you anything this morning, it would be this. When our lives feel like they are in chaos, stormy, and uncertain, we must remember God is sovereign. Romans 8.28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things, not some things, not sometimes, not maybe, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, I, I will confess that may be true and it still may be storming. That may be true and we may still be sitting in the dark and rowing for all our might and all our strength. But remember another promise from the word of the Lord, Matthew 28, 20. Jesus says, his concluding remarks, and lo, I am with you always. He doesn't promise to take away the storm, he promises to be with you through it. Again, I say that changes or should change how we live, doesn't it? 
that would affect how we face the storms, wouldn't it? And that's precisely what Jesus needs the disciples to learn here in our passage. As we continue, we see nothing is beyond the control of Jesus. Now there is one more moment of panic for the disciples. There's one more circumstance they have to overcome. And this one, ironically, I love this one because their last cause of panic actually is the thing they're panicking about. <laughs> Look at verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Now hold up, Pastor. You said just a moment ago one of their moments of panic is because Jesus is not with them. Wouldn't seeing Jesus Christ alleviate that panic and fear? Well, let me ask you. You've been rowing for hours in the pitch black dark. You've lost your Savior. You've lost your sense of direction in a lot of ways. I'm sure they knew generally what they were doing, but they're fighting for their lives. And then all of a sudden, you see a man walk out to you on the water. Whether it's Jesus or not, how are you responding? <laughs> in fact, we know if we go to Mark's gospel and his parallel, Mark 6.49 tells us why they're panicking right now. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. People don't walk on water. And there's a man out there, and he's coming towards us. Uh-oh. <laughs> you can feel it in them, right? Uh-oh. We're in trouble. This is not good. This is not an irrational reaction. They left Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The situation's not making sense. So all of this reaches its climax at this moment. And what breaks it for them? What, what changes the circumstances? What, what changes their fear? It is a sentence. These mere words from Jesus. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus Christ, looking to his disciples, saying, It's me. You don't have to fear. The next words. Then they were glad. Immediate change. Immediate mental and physical and spiritual change. At the presence of our Lord, our focus is moved. Now before I conclude our text, I want to do something with you I did last week. I think it's very important. Liberal scholars hate, well, they hate Scripture. <laughs> they want to make Jesus a moral teacher. He can't be God. There cannot be miracles. And nothing of the sort can take place. So we've got to rationalize them and smooth out the Bible to make it more palatable. And I want you to be aware of these so that you're not surprised when you hear them and you can give the right and proper response. Last week they made Jesus out to be a magician pulling a sleight of hand trick with the disciples handing him bread and loaves up under him so that he can hand them out. This week they take a, a much more basic tactic. Well, of course Jesus was walking toward them. You see, they had been rowing 
near the shore this whole time. Jesus was walking on the sand. And it was stormy and they were tired and the rain was coming down and it looked like he was walking on water. But people don't walk on water. And so Jesus appeared to come to them from the water when in reality he was merely walking on dry ground. That's the argument of liberal scholars. But there's two problems with this other than it's just wrong. First, the disciples were on a boat miles from the shore that they left on. John, as well as others, were professional fishermen. They knew boats and they knew water. They would have known the difference in water and in shore. Secondly, the passage ends with them being where they need to end up. It concludes they were where they needed to be. If Jesus was walking on the shore, he wouldn't have been doing it at the, on the Capernaum side, because how would he have gotten there? He would have been at the point of origin where they left. And so if Jesus is on the shore, and they come to him as he's coming to them, and they meet Jesus, aren't they on the wrong side of the Sea of Galilee? How can they then be at the right place if he didn't ever left the shore? What, don't you think they would have noticed if they then had to row five more miles across? See, it doesn't make sense. And, and, and that's how you refute liberal scholars. You just let the Bible speak for itself. The sense of the scriptures makes sense. But I want to pose something even greater. The weight of this miracle of this moment is diminished if Jesus is just performing sleight of hand magic. If, if Jesus is telling the disciples, have no fear, for I am with you, for I love you, for I care about you, while he is over there pretending to levitate, does that really mean that much? Is it that significant for them if he's merely pretending? No. Jesus Christ walked on water. He performed a miracle. They, the disciples witnessed a miracle. A miracle that was designed for them. They're the only audience. And how does our passage end this? Then they were glad to take him into the boat. Out of water, by the way. They would have known. You're in water, you're in the boat. That would have made sense. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, a quick comment on that. Um, there's two ways to interpret this here. Immediately the boat was on land in which they were going. One, it means what it says. This is an extension of this miracle. This is a part of the walking on water miracle. So not only did Jesus walk on water, he transported them to where they were going. the simplest reading of the text. The boat, the disciples, and Jesus found the place that they were to be, and all was as it should be. Now some disciples, or some uh, um, uh, scholars, even conservative scholars, say we should read this philosophically and read it like this. When we welcome Jesus into our lives... Though the storms are around us, 
there is calm and peace, and we are where we should be. And so we should read it as, as what it's like to take in Jesus in our lives. Now, I, I will admit I'm, I'm very compelled by that latter argument, but I also recognize I'm very critical on critical scholarship. And I, I don't want to be accused of rebuking the liberal scholars for flattening a miracle to make it make sense and then do the same thing myself. And so my conclusion to that is this is both and. When we have Jesus Christ, we have peace and comfort and hope and rest. And when we have Jesus, all is as it should be. There's no reason why both of these things can't be true. Because we think about the purpose of this miracle. What is the purpose of this miracle? A miracle just for the disciples. What did they learn from what they witnessed? Well, the disciples are reminded Jesus is their greatest need. When they have Jesus, there is peace. They're also reminded Jesus has miraculous power. He really can do what no other can do. This would bring their attention all the way back to John chapter 5 when he says, the miracles display my authority. We know in the Old Testament, God the Father displays power over water, the parting of the Red Sea, and the, the splitting of the rock to feed or to, to water the Israelites. Over and over again, the Lord turning bad water, sour water um, in the wilderness into fresh water. And so for Jesus to display the same kind of power would equate him with God, the argument he's trying to make. And by these things, in time, the disciples will come to see Jesus as Son of God and Lord. And by believing in Him, they will have life in His name. There's a second question we've got to ask, though. Because it's not fair to say the disciples are the only audience. The disciples are the primary audience, but we also are the audience of this passage. In, in, a, in a spiritual way, we have beheld this miracle. What do we learn from it? Or what should we learn from it? Well, there are times in our lives that will appear out of control, random, chaotic, and dangerous. But even in those moments, we only have to look to Jesus to find safety, comfort, and security. We also learn that Jesus has miraculous power over creation. Jesus is who He says He is. Here's the beauty of the Word of God. Did you notice that the lessons the disciples learned and the lessons that we should learn are the same lessons? That's the skill of our Lord. Jesus Christ brought about a storm in the life of the disciples so that we today on January 14th, 2024 could read this passage and hear this message. And Jesus Christ brought about a storm so that the disciples would learn to hope trust and rest in Him and not be afraid. Both of those things can be true at the same time. My prayer for you, as it is for myself, is that we would draw strength from the One who brings calm to the storms 
and brings comfort to those who are frightened. May we look to him when there's a lack of peace in our lives. May we cling to the Savior and not be worried about what's going on outside of the boat because we know the one who's in it. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I I confess that there are often times in my life where I feel like the disciples here. The storm is raging, I'm lost, I'm confused, things aren't making sense. And Lord, I also confess that I respond like the disciples more often than not. I become frightened. All because I forget who my Savior is. All because I forget His power over this world. All because I forget His promises to never leave us nor forsake us. Father, I pray for everyone here this day as we have heard Your Word. May we hope, trust, and rest in You. And may knowing Jesus Christ rid fear from our lives. May we learn to see the circumstances that are out of our control and know that You are working a grand plan in our lives and in the lives of Your people. And Lord, we thank You. We may not do so in the time of the storm, but as You give us clarity and sight, we thank You for those circumstances, for all of them work together for the good of your people. So thank you for allowing us to play a part in your grand plan. Be near to us, O Lord. May we never forget your hope and your promise. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.